Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Hey, so like I said, we're covering a lot of territory this morning as we look at the book of Romans. We're talking about chapter 15, verse 22, all the way through chapter 16. As I begin to read this portion of Scripture, and over and over and over again I was reading it, there's something that rises to the top. And really the theme and the title that I chose is really the heart of a healthy church. Now, I didn't find that in a commentary, and Paul doesn't specifically say this is how to be a healthy church, but these are the words as they begin to float to the top, you begin to get a glimpse even more of the church in Rome because it was made up of so many different people from so many different walks of life, and we begin to see the heart of the Apostle Paul in a great way towards the end here as we close out the book this morning. So again, we're going to be starting with verse 22, and I'm not going to read all the way through chapter 16. We're just going to jump into this. When we talk about the heart of a healthy church, the first thing that came to my mind when I read verses 22 to the end of chapter 15 was that leaders lead by example. Leaders lead by example. That's the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul understood that he wasn't just living in a vacuum, that as he was called to plant churches, he just didn't plant churches and split, regardless of what people think. He stayed in touch with them through epistles. He prayed for them continually. And we see that he understood the importance and the seriousness of what it meant to be an example to those under him as he was leading them. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, he wrote these words, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Then in 2 Thessalonians, he writes in chapter 3, verses 7 to 9, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Look at that. You ought to underline that when you turn to it. Because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Paul took his life in Christ serious as far as being an example and others can imitate in his walk. That's how I learned. That's how many of you learned. When we learned to pray, we saw others that were older in the faith pray. When we learned how to read the Scriptures, it was others that taught us. When we began to study the Scriptures, it was others. We used to watch their lives, and some of those I still watch today in my own life. So look at this at the end of the chapter. What I want you to see, what was Paul an example in? What was important to Paul as he's writing this? And again, he didn't come out and say, look, you need to be example here. You need to be an example there. That was not his intention. But this is what comes to the top when you begin to read it. He was an example in love. Leaders love God's sheep. Paul was an example to this. Look at verses 22 and 23. 
This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. He's talking about his work in other areas that he was planting churches, and that's what hindered him from coming to see the people in Rome. Then he says, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I want you to see his heart there. Many of the people he did not know in Rome, and yet he longed to see them. Why? They were God's sheep, and real leaders in the church are not hirelings, they're true shepherds. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 34, there's a whole chapter where God is indicting the elders of Israel, where he's indicting the shepherds for being self-gainers, for not looking after the lives of the sheep. And here's one portion that he says as he opens up in Ezekiel 34, 1-2. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, you have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? By the way, you can connect those words to Jesus' words with the apostle Peter when he restored him on the Sea of Galilee. He said, Peter, if you love me, then feed my sheep. God is concerned with his sheep being fed the proper food. And then when you get into the rest of chapter 34, in fact, write it down. I'm going to read chapter 34 today when I get home or tonight or sometime. And I want you to see God's scathing rebuke against the shepherds because he entrusted people with his sheep. He put them under his leadership and under their care. And when Jesus shows up, you got Pharisees and Sadducees, the supposed religious leaders of the day, and they were not feeding God's sheep. And so in Ezekiel 34, verse 15, he promised to give his people himself as the shepherd. So he says this, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will be their shepherd. You say, why is that important? Because Jesus comes along, and he's looking, he says, for the lost sheep of Israel... And in chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says these words, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. As the good shepherd, Jesus becomes the example for all of us other shepherds. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 5, he is seen as the great shepherd. We are under shepherds. And he becomes our example. And that's why verses in, like in John chapter 13, verses 14 to 15 are very poignant for leadership. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done for you. We are following the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't lord it over people like the world does. He doesn't just sit there in a throne and just demand this, demand that. No, he led through servanthood. That's why servant leadership is so important in this world that have discovered they may be managers of a company. I did a whole research paper on servant leadership when I was in seminary, and I was amazed at how many secular organizations were successful, and they said it was one reason the managers were servant leaders. So he was an example in love. Paul loved the sheep. Even though he'd never been to Rome, he said, I long to see you. And then he's also 
an example in ministry. Look at verses 25 to 29. He says, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, this is why Israel is so important, and it's important to get the gospel out, because you and I share in their spiritual blessings. They also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And what I love about this portion of Scripture that we just read is Paul becomes an example of what it means to minister to others. He didn't just preach the gospel. He stepped up and he trailblazed the way. You had a situation in Jerusalem where the saints there, the believers there, were suffering financially. They were in a financial crisis. And the primary purpose for that, scholars are divided. One, there could have been a famine there in that land at that time because God was known for bringing judgment through famines and Israel was in a state of rebellion. But secondly... When you became a believer in Jerusalem, you were ostracized by your family. Where was your income going to come? Well, Paul understood this, and all he saw was the need, and he stepped up to the plate, and he became the example by going through all the Gentile churches, taking up an offering so that he could meet the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. You and I have to grab onto that. It would be a beautiful thing that every time we heard a need in Christ Community Church that we just stepped up to the plate and we provided it. Not, hey, go see the pastor. Go see Pastor Dennis. Go see Pastor Chris and they'll help you. No, these things are to be organic in a ministry. And Paul always displayed that. He wasn't afraid to lead by example in those ways. In Galatians 6.10, you've heard it often from this pulpit. So then, as we have opportunity Let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially those he singles those out. Yeah, we do good for everybody. But there's those in the body we need to put as a priority as they are suffering. And as they are in need, we become that person. The channel of God's blessings. In prayer, Paul was not just an example in ministry. And in love, because love has to play out in tangible ways. He not only loved the sheep, but he proved it by even taking that collection and that offering, doing it in material ways. But also, he was a wonderful and beautiful example of prayer. One of the most important things a leader can be an example in is prayer. It's easy to preach about prayer, let me tell you that. It's easy to study about prayer, but the most difficult thing is to actually get into prayer. And prayer is so important, we have to ask ourselves, why aren't leaders praying more? We want to go and we want to develop these techniques to supposedly provide church growth. i got to tell you something, the bride of Christ in America is a mess. If there's any time for the church to pray, it is now. 
It's like the bishops in the 4th century when Constantine became the emperor and, and he legalized Christianity. The government married Christianity and he said, look, this is a state religion. They destroyed the temples of false gods, turned them into churches and everything else. The bishops were going to their leaders and they were saying, man, everyone wants to get baptized and they're not even there with Christ. We need to pray. Paul in the Scriptures and just his epistles in the New Testament uses the word prayer or some form of it over 50 times. Prayer is so important. You see it. Look at verse 30 to 31. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. There's a whole sermon there in just those three words, but we won't get into that now. That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. So in prayer, Paul believed in the power of prayer. You see it in the words in those verses 30 31. I appeal to you, he says, He then says, to strive together with me. These are serious terms. He's appealing. He's beseeching people, pray with me. And to strive with him in your prayers. Because there is a connection. Even though Paul did not meet many of the people in Rome, knew very few because he had never been to the church, but he knew very few, that he knew there was a powerful connection in prayer. That even when you're praying for people, there's a connection that takes place that we can only attribute. You can't totally comprehend it, and it isn't totally explainable, but the Holy Spirit connects us with people. When we prayed for Jim and Nancy, I believe God, we were connecting with them. You may have never met them before, but as you pray for them, you're connecting with them in their ministry. You know, even when I wrote this, my alarm went off. I was writing this. I was actually on this portion. Talk about God's timing. I was on this portion, this point, when my alarm went off on Saturday, last Saturday, week ago Saturday, that I was supposed to pray for those who were going through freedom in Christ. The list, the people that were in that freedom in Christ, I knew some of them, but I didn't know all of them. And as I was praying for them, I felt a connection there. As you pray for those, as you pray for those names, those are so, so important. Paul was also an example in fellowship. Look at verse 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Look at verse 24 again. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Listen to me. You cannot underestimate the value of fellowship. We generally see this with missionaries that are coming off the mission field. They'll go off. They're they're out there. They're slugging it out with darkness. Some of them are in Muslim territory. Others are in certain tribes in certain areas of the world. And they're bringing the gospel and their lives are under threat. And they're constantly slugging it out with darkness. And when they come off the field, I've spent time with some of them. And you can't underestimate the value of fellowship in bringing refreshment. 
in bringing restoration to these people as they've been on the field and now they're coming off to be restored and to be renewed and to be refreshed. I hope you see the value of fellowship. Christ Community Church, Christ, the name itself, it's all about Christ. Community, we're a community of believers here in the world. Church means called out ones. We've been called out. The very name of Christ Community Church should shout loudly of fellowship. Fellowship. There's people that are hurting in our church. And if you're one of those that are hurting, maybe you're watching online today, reach out. We want to fellowship with you. We want to visit with you. We want to minister to you. We don't want to be stingy with what God's poured into us. We want to pour out what God's poured into us. And that's what we do in fellowship. Do you know there's a unique dynamic here that's very different than the Rotary Club or the Kiwanis? You realize that, right? Our value systems are different. Our worldview is different. We're on the same page as God. And sometimes we disconnect from the fellowship and we lose our way. Paul always stayed connected with believers as he was bringing the gospel to areas. He understood that he was not Superman. Many people look at his life and they say, wow, I wish I was like the Apostle Paul. Really? I mean, this guy, when you read about the trials he went through, he actually got stoned, thrown rocks at. Got to always clarify that with the younger crowd. He didn't get stoned by smoking weed. He got stoned. They stoned him, dragged him out of the city for dead. Can you imagine? He's been whipped, beaten three times, the 40 lashes minus one. He's been shipwrecked and everything else. You don't think this guy understood the value of fellowship. If he did not have other believers that were supporting him, that he was connecting with, he probably, well, I don't want to underestimate God. But people look at him as a super apostle. You know, one of the reasons he was a super apostle is because he understood the connection with other believers and what he can draw from them, like plugging into the wall. It's a power source, right? So that's Paul, that as we see that closing chapter 15, we see that leaders are to lead by example. In those areas are so important. We're to see ourselves as logs in a fire. Not when a log rolls off, it's going to burn out. But in fellowship, it's like logs on a fire that we keep that fire burning brightly. We keep the warmth of the Lord God in our hearts. So, so important. The second thing that I want to bring out as far as a healthy church goes is a healthy church maintains unity among the diversity. A healthy church maintains Unity among diversity. And the reason I bring that up is when you look at chapter 16, it reads like a random list of names, many of which Paul never met, as I said before, but they're like Facebook. You know, somebody knows a friend, so they friend you on Facebook. You never met them before. You know the one guy, and so everyone friends you. But Paul didn't know these people personally, but their names speak loudly. There's 26 individuals. And we're going to go into each one of their biographies today. Okay? You guys got about five hours? 26 individuals, two families, and three house churches are listed in just the first 15 verses. Now, what I want to bring out there, if Paul had never been to the church in Rome, 
How in the world did he know these people? Because again, read these names. It's name after name after name. In just those 10 verses, you're going to find 26 names. And it's incredible. How did he know these people? Well, he didn't. He didn't know many of them personally, but you remember when Aquila and Priscilla, when Claudius, Emperor Claudius put the edict in in 449 AD that he made all the Jews leave Rome. And that's when Paul met Aquila and Priscilla on the road. Now I believe Aquila and Priscilla were already saved, that Paul didn't lead them to Christ. That the church in Rome was already going. The church in Rome was already going. When you say, well, how'd that happen? Well, when you read Acts chapter 2, you see among the people that were saved from the different regions, Rome is listed. Some of those people got saved on the day of Pentecost. They went back and they planted a church. So when Paul met Aquila and Priscilla, they were tent makers. And I mean, tent making, I don't know how it happened then. I know you had to sew and you know, you did it all by hand. It wasn't machine like today. Well, if you're sitting next to Aquila and Priscilla and you're talking about the Lord and you're talking about the church and you're sewing up a tent, they're going to tell you about their church back home. There's people I've met before that in San Diego I've met people before who said, man, I have a friend that goes to Christ Community Church. He's told me all about you guys. And see, that's what Paul was doing. So he knew, and I believe he prayed for them. I believe that's why he could, you know, rattle off their names in chapter 16 without ever meeting them before, just hearing maybe from Aquila and Priscilla. But when Paul said, I'm going to pray for you, he meant it. That wasn't just a Christian cliche where, oh, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for Jim and Nancy Rose and everything else. Then you walk out the door and you forget about it. Don't do that with God. You're better to hold your tongue and not say, I'm going to pray for you than to tell them you're going to pray for them and you don't pray for them. Paul was always laboring in prayer. So in chapter 16, we see all of these names that he brings up. And so I want to talk to you just for a moment on maintaining unity among the diversity, which is what you're going to see. There's three areas I want you to see in Romans 16 where they were very diverse. One, there was a diversity in class. There was a diversity in class. There were wealthy people in the church. Look at Phoebe in verses 1 and 2. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church, and the way that's really pronounced is Ken Crea. We were there, by the way, when we went to Greece. We were actually in this place where the ruins were. We were also in Corinth, which I'm going to show you in a moment what they discovered in Corinth. But here is a, a lady named Phoebe, And she appears to be a leader in the church in Cancrea. That word for servant can mean deaconess or serving. I'll talk about that in just a moment. However you translate that word, which the controversy is over, it doesn't matter because she was serving. She was dedicated. She was committed to serving. And we know that she was wealthy, because look at verse 2, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. In other words, she was a benefactor. She was one who supported missions. She was one that would have wrote a check for the ministry, putting a well in Africa. She supported Paul, he says it. So he was a direct recipient of her support. So most people believe that she was a woman of means. 
whether she had a rich husband that passed away or whatever, we don't know, but we know she had access to funds. And that word for patron literally means like philanthropist, benefactor. You know, she just supported missions. And we need to understand that, you guys. So many people hammer wealthy people. Wealthy people have gotten a bad rap mainly because of the greed of some wealthy people. But there are so many wealthy people that God continues to use in His kingdom to support missions. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley, with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the ccciv.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.